Legal has said you can call it a song competition in Dublin, much like we can call it the big game. Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode 207 dropping on October 10th, 2023. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Bonjour. In this episode, we'll be talking about Valérie Lemercier's 2022 movie, freely inspired by the life of Celine Dion, Aline. Bonjour, Mike. <laughs> Bonjour, Ben. Ça va bien. <laughs> Wait, no, that's uh, not how that works. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say good, because you were hitting the extent of my of my French knowledge. It's like, I can, I can say hello, I can assign up to 12 points to a nation in Europe, and then I'm done. I took two years of French, and that is also my limit. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm so glad that we are unlocking this Patreon episode. I listened back to it as we were planning these wraparounds and contextualizing, and I ended up listening to the whole thing. It, it is a fun chat. Same, like it, it's it's a good one. I'm so excited that we are making this available to more people. Although every time my brain sees the word unlocking, I'm like, oh, just like in Super Smash Brothers, just like a tiny little Valerie Lemercier. Yeah. <laughs> Un challenger nouveau approchere. <laughs> I, uh, t- sorry, sorry, France. Um, <laughs> As always on our program, apologies to France. So this is a Patreon episode that we released in 2022 when the movie was in theaters for all of a couple of weeks. It is now currently available for free in the U.S. on Amazon Prime Video and on Canopy. The thing that I think is second or third on my list of things I talk about too much is how much you should use your local library. If your local library has Canopy, then that's Canopy with a K. It has all sorts of movies and access, and it'll be like Oscar-nominated things. It will be various music documentaries. It's like a really kind of weird hodgepodge of titles, but there's a surprising amount of good stuff on Canopy. It also seemed like a good idea to unlock this one because Celine did win Eurovision 35 years ago. So year that ends in zero five. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> oh, good. My brain also just made the air horn noise. Pew, 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 pew. 35. We did it. Release the balloons. And if you enjoy this conversation, uh, you may want to check out our Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash what. Is what we do over at the You're What AV Club. We talk about things that either due to timing or subject matter just aren't quite the right fit for this main feed. And every once in a while, we will unlock the vault and uh, share an episode that does kind of fit. Like, I think this one did fit. It was just right in the middle of review season uh, when it came out. So the timing just didn't work. Since we last talked about this movie, I thought it was worth checking out. Hey, what's going on? It's kind of some downer news. Uh, is Celine Dion was supposed to be starting another world tour sometime this fall winter, I believe, and then earlier this year shared that she had been diagnosed with stiff person syndrome, which I was reading up on what that is, and it kind of makes your body stiff and particularly affects the muscles that help sing. She hopes to be performing again, but she did cancel those planned 2023 and 2024 shows. Valerie Lemercier, who is the director, writer, star, everything about this movie. Her next project is the Woody Allen film, Coup de Chance. Um, okay. Yeah, there's just like a little grimace emoji next to that in our notes. And yes, yes. agreed. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, weirdly, I think it kind of fits in with the overall conversation. Why don't we get into that conversation? Yeah, let's dive into yeah. that. Oh. 
my goodness, I am so excited to talk about this. this right. Is- <laughs> I have been abnormally excited about this film since it came out of, I believe it was last year's Cannes Film Fest. I don't follow a ton of movie reviewers, but everybody was talking about this film. And rightly so. It was the sort of thing where it's like, I need to go whenever it gets a small release opening weekend, because it sounds like the sort of weird thing that if I don't go opening weekend, it's not going to be in theaters longer than that. Right, right. It may not even make it through the weekend. You have one night only. I need to be ready to go up to my local art house cinema and be like, one for Aline, please. And then be the only person in the theater. That was the thing that was surprising for me. When it was released in Chicago, it was all AMC theaters. The three that are nearest to me had, I'd say, maybe a total of 12 screenings on the Saturday that I saw it. You can order your tickets ahead of time, reserve a seat and stuff. And across all 12 of those screenings, I think there were maybe two tickets purchased. But when I went into my screening, I was just like, oh, this is going to be great. I'll be able to spread out, have my notebook open, use my phone, all of that. And I turned the corner after walking in and there's somebody sitting in the corner and i think i really did go (gasps) (laughs) it's like i thought i was going to be by myself here yes okay yeah i'm like i'm gonna be the only person in the theater because i was going to the earliest showing at my amc because i had other theater plans that day which we can get to because it was like a weird synchronicity um but like was like i'm gonna be the only person in the theater and got there and there was someone two rows ahead of the seat i had reserved and there was someone in the back row of mine oh wow We're, we're like i'm pretty sure i was hearing the clicking of them taking notes I decided to not take notes because, again, like if I'd been in the theater alone, absolutely spreading out, absolutely having my phone open. Yeah, with some of those tickets, it was just like, oh, there's somebody who bought a reserved seat. Should I buy the seat next to them just as a joke? <laughs> but uh, did not do that. Uh, oh, I, I, yeah. I thought I had arranged a private screening. Who is coming to this movie? Because like, I know why I'm coming, and it's weird. Is this just like the person who has like the the premium AMC Stubbs plan and has literally seen everything else in the theater at this point? I think it was a rainy day when I saw it, so it could have just been somebody at the mall who's just like, uh, yeah, I just need to get out of. The I, cold, I just need to know? sit someplace two hours. It's dry. <laughs> Nobody's gonna bother me if I need to take a nap. It'll just be a lot of white noise, which is fine. So, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I guess maybe we should say what this movie is. Yes, what about. is Aline, and what, what like why are we talking about it? In a world. Oh no, sorry. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Okay, so this is from the press site. For Aline Diou, nothing in the world matters more than music, family, and love. Her powerful and emotional voice captivates everyone who hears it, including successful manager Guy-Claude Camar, who resolves to do everything in his power to make her a star. As Aline ascends from local phenomenon to best-selling recording artist to international superstar, she embarks on a passionate romance with the much older Kamar. And if that sounds familiar, that's because the film also bills itself as a fiction freely inspired by the life of Celine Dion. When you were first conceiving this, were you thinking of the Jackie Jump Jump episode of 30 Rock? Oh, it's it's been a constant companion as I've thought about this movie. The second that you describe your biopic as a fiction freely inspired by it, I'm like, okay, so that means that you don't actually have life rights. This is going to be Jackie Jump Jump. It sounds like Celine's manager gave the thumbs up, even though Celine herself has not spoken about it publicly to date, which understandable i guess before we get any further uh spoiler warning even though it is a pseudo biopic like we are going to be getting into this so if you are waiting to watch this and see the finer points of this yourself watch the movie come back 
be as gobsmacked as we are going to be yeah. over the <laughs> over this conversation. And yeah, uh, but otherwise, I think it is hitting a lot of the beats of the Celine Dion story that is public knowledge at yeah, this point. Like, so, yeah, I don't yeah. think that there's like any major surprises in her life that the film talks about. So what is your relationship with Celine Dion? That's a great place to start this discussion. We have kind of a running joke on the show where we never mention her name, and yet here we are doing an episode about a fiction freely inspired by her life. My primary connection with her is recognizing her as the My Heart Will Go On lady. I think that's when she hit peak cultural consciousness, or at least that is when she came into my awareness, even though she had, had like a full career or a career and a half up to that point where she was a, a known chart thing. And now I also primarily know her through Carl Wilson's book for the 33 and the third series that later got expanded into a full book called Let's Talk About Love, A Journey to the End of Bad Taste. The book is actually very good and is some of the foundational talking about poptimism versus rockism and why we treat certain artists the way we do as sort of this cultural kryptonite, even though everybody loves them. The passage that you sent me had a lot of surprises in it. There were a number of things that it was like, oh, I never knew this about her. And it also did not come up in the movie. To read from the book, he describes Eurovision as the five-decade-old cheeseball Olympics of pop music, the most watched ongoing musical event on Earth with an annual audience estimated at 300 million. Once again, Eurovision, I would like some sources. <laughs> Eurovision traffics almost exclusively in major key upbeat tunes limited to three minutes and burdened with somehow simultaneously representing the competing nation's souls and eschewing any hint of chauvinism. Though it began with performers wearing local costume and singing in their native tongues, an international language requirement was added in later years by the TV networks that administer it to make it more commercially viable so English and French songs predominate. If you've ever seen Italian variety TV with its blousy hostesses and pompadoured hosts, you have the general aesthetic. Getting to revisit this in a year where we have seen the Italian television version. Yeah, and having the opportunity to watch Italian television in the wild, that really sung to my heart. So. Yes, and like, and then like, then it gets to the part where I'm like, oh yeah, this is very 2007, which is like right before I started really watching Eurovision, but as we've gone back to Eurovision again, really ties in with particularly like anything from like 1997 to today, because he quotes... Mike Atkinson, who wrote in 1996 for Slate.com, there is nothing remotely hip about Eurovision, which generally runs at least 10 years behind developments in youth-based genres, if not 20, which we've improved. Uh, costumes are florid and dance routines frantic, and the prevailing genres are power ballads, bubblegum pop, anthems of international tolerance, and what Atkinson calls ethereal, folky, ethnic, which makes use of river dance style choreography, gypsy fiddles, panpipes, and the like. Oof, that is definitely a product of its time. Oh, yeah, no, you can you can just hear Terry Wogan in the background. However, as you know, this stylistic conservatism does ensure a continuing appeal to the sort of traditional multi-generational family-based demographic that is rapidly disappearing in our tightly segmented multi-channel age. Eurovision was made for Celine and she for it. She was the bookie's favorite from the start. All of this happens directly after Carl Wilson mentioning celine's 1982 win at the now defunct tokyo song contest i feel like in american coverage of eurovision the major names we bring up are abba and celine now i feel like monoskin is definitely going to be in the mix for at least the next few years i almost hesitate to include celine now if you look at celine she was going to go juggernaut anyway she was doing really well in canada before eurovision just with french-speaking canada in particular and it felt like she had the clear career path yeah i mean the fact that there are things in this piece where it did not come up in the movie. I had no idea about it outside of the movie. I did not know all of the multilingual content that she was producing. She had a game plan and 
Eurovision was just another thing to do. For me, she must have been in the ether when I was younger because she did the theme song from Beauty and the Beast with Peebo Bryson. So I think that was her first major American exposure. Like granted, she had done Eurovision prior to that. And as you said, she had a career and a half well before her American entrance. And yeah, I think I first connected her name and look and music. Oh, this would have been probably around 1996 when Up Close and Personal came out and she had the song Because You Love Me. Mm -hmm. And that was on regular rotation on VH1 um, because like I am an old and was just like, oh, VH1, this is is for me, even though I was in high school at the time. I was fun. That is like a fun unifying factor for both of us of of, like being in high school, like, yes, VH1, this is for me. (laughs) back when they used to play music videos uh but yeah so like that video was in heavy rotation and then it's all coming back to me now okay yes the number ones is starting to get deep into the early and mid 90s when she's having her u.s ascension that led to her becoming the my heart will go on lady I'm filling in a bunch of the gaps of my cultural memory just by reading sort of the background of when she first hits number one on the charts. And then it's all coming back to me now just popped up because it was blocked from going to number one on the charts by the Macarena. (laughs) The Macarena! (laughs) I, I think my main association with it's all coming back to me now is one of the first drag shows that I went to was a drag pageant. And two of the queens did performances to that song and it's like a five minute track i was about to say i was was going to ask were they doing the full seven minute jim steinman mix i think they were and after the second performance of this is like oh man this is a lot it must have been about 1 30 in the morning at this point and the host of the show was asking the previous year's winner uh yeah in a few short hours you're going to be passing your crown on to the next winner it's like a few more hours how much longer is this show going to be (laughs) how many more people are doing a number to it's all coming back to me now yeah yeah so we, we we did not find out who won miss us of a at large that year but i hope that they have celine still in their repertoire i've not listened to a full celine album or anything like that and i think i'm more familiar with the kind of caricature of her in pop culture rather than her specifically agreed like when i think of her i think i'm actually thinking of like anna gosteyer from snl yeah, for me, it's Kathy Griffin and her comedy specials. And I was thinking about that a lot while watching this movie in, in a fond way where it's like, oh, there's actually some truth to that routine. And uh, yeah, just kind of, I don't know, added to the charm of this film. Like, I found this film weirdly charming. Yes, and I think both of those words are very important. Weirdly charming. It was definitely weird. Uh, <laughs> yeah, at what point in the movie did you just kind of go, uh what because uh, <laughs> i have a specific moment in my list i feel like the main reason i had wanted to see this and the main reason we're doing this for the show is because all of the reviews that came out of when it premiered had mentioned that she plays celine at every age and they do mean at every age this is an actress slash director slash writer who has been digitally shrunken down and whatever creepy thing we're doing to all the actors now where we de-age them to play celine at six and at 12 in a way where it's like you are actively aware that this is an adult woman who is approaching 60 i think so yeah it was kind of wild the very first reveal of her as seven-year-old celine it's, it's kind of like when you're resizing a photo and you uncheck the box where you maintain the proportions so it's like weirdly squished but still resembling the original photograph yes it was <laughs> like, it was very uncanny valley 
Yes, yes. Fortunately, that was a very brief instance. Like, I I think that was maybe, like, the one shot, and then uh, they jumped to, like, five years later. Which, still, at 12 years old. It does a good job of mentally priming you and, like... Weirdly, I respect it as a choice of the biopic, as opposed to having a bunch of different actresses. Overall, it was done really well. I think that there were a lot of fun cheats that were used, like over-the-shoulder shots, clever blocking so that you don't actually see faces or other distinguishing features so that you're able to continue the scene but not have it be like, okay, this is a 60-year-old woman playing a a teenager. Ultimately, I think the choice works because the movie kind of has a loose relationship with linear time and when things actually happen in the real Celine's life versus Aline's life, where I think that that helps in that it's just, okay, this is the person playing this person. Although, have you seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story? I have not. Okay, so it is very good. It's ruined like every music biopic for me. Oh, really? Yes, because it is a parody of them. And it is just like a FedEx arrow of the beats that every kind of music biopic hits. Like, I think that's why the internet was having such a field day with the Queen biopic. There were parts of this where it has a very loose relationship with linear time, Mm -hmm. but other areas just sort of smoothly glides from career milestone to career milestone in a way where it feels like it's an SNL sketch that's like setting up to some sort of twist that's going to be the rest of the joke. But that twist never came for me. I don't know if, like, cherry-picking is the right word for it, but in preparing for this conversation, there was a lot of stuff that was coming up in different articles and biographies. There's like, oh, that wasn't even in the movie at all. Specifically, the piece that was of our concern was how they were going to handle Eurovision and how big of a piece that was going to be in this puzzle. It was mentioned, but I think had circumstances played out differently in the real Celine's life, it might have been on the cutting room floor. I knew that it was going to be a movie about Celine Dion. I had not realized that the major storyline of the movie was going to be so much about her relationship with not Renee. Yeah, which I think is also another reason why having her play Celine at all the ages worked in the movie's favor, because if it was actual children playing the if children It was like an parts, actual 12-year-old. Yeah, that would have made it very unsettling, yes. I think. And I I think that that is the biggest obstacle of this film, where there is a creepiness factor to the relationship, but I I don't think... Like, it didn't read as predatory to me, but I can see how people would interpret it as a predatory relationship. Who are the villains in this movie? And, like, the villains are... Celine wants her mother to understand her relationship with her manager, and then Celine wants to preserve her voice. Right. Celine has to be quiet for three months. I think that that is really what splits the movie in two, because eventually that first conflict gets resolved, but that's about halfway through the movie. And then the second half is, I don't know, the the continued rise to power. The second half of the movie is where it kind of gets weirdly off the rails for me and where I'm just like, okay, why is the mine car continuing down the, the tracks? Why are we stopping at these moments? What is the movie continuing to try to say? And even overall, what is this movie trying to say? It is a very loving portrait of pseudo-Celine. I think if you're telling the story of of an actual person, and in this case, a living person, the question is really like, why? What are you trying to, to tell about this person's story? And I'm not sure I know what the thesis of this movie is. I have half of an idea, but I'm not sure that it works for me. So there is a song that opens the movie... And the movie closes with Valérie Lemercier performing it as Celine. It is Robert Charlebois' Ordinaire. 
suis un gars ben ordinaire Des fois j'ai plus le goût de rien faire Je fumerai du pot, je boirai de la bière Je ferai de la musique avec le gros pierre Il faut que je pense à ma carrière Je suis un chanteur populaire That's the song that opens things, and then like I thought the movie was done, but like the credits haven't started yet, and then yes, there's one more performance, and it's Celine performing Ordinaire. And in and in looking stuff up for the show to figure out more about that song, A, he's a Quebecois singer, songwriter, so that helps explain the connection of why this song to me. But then also, Celine has performed the song, uh, and also he has performed the song to her in a, in a version where he has modified the lyrics to be about a, a female singer. There is a video of him performing this where she is also on stage basically quietly crying the entire time. And I'm wondering if that was an inspiration point for Valérie Lemercier of why this, because the thesis of that song is, I'm not a superstar, I'm just an ordinary person. Right. I think also with the timing of when this movie would have been produced, this would have been either during or just after the Lady Gaga version of A Star is Born came out. And I feel like this movie has a lot of parallels with that movie, particularly the ending of the movie, rising through the ashes and singing this torch song as a tribute and the standard like one star rises one star falls yeah it it doesn't have that structure it doesn't have the substance abuse conflict in there it really is kind of just like oh sometimes bad things happen to nice people but they'll get through it and things will still work out for them like a nice movie about nice people with a music biopic in particular i feel like those tend to focus on like the gritty hard parts of people's lives and this one's just like what if a person's life did have some setbacks but they were mostly minor and they continued to have a great life yeah yeah and like really humanizing ones it's not about like the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll it's about struggling with fertility issues which affects a lot of people and moving into a new house and not knowing where anything is things that are a big deal at the time that they happen but in the grand scheme of your overall life how does that play out so if this is trying to humanize the deity that is Celine Dion. Yeah, it, it does do that. Yeah. It does show her as part of a very large uh, Quebecois family. Yeah, as, as the youngest of seven kids, I really identified with the opening minutes of the movie and just be like, yep, that's what it's like being the youngster. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I could not imagine being the youngest of 14, though. That That is... That's a lot of people. So, <laughs> like, my mom is one of fourteen, and I can't imagine. Oh my that. goodness! Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I feel like the two thousands portion kind of loses the plot for me. Although I think it's trying to show a more human side, at, even as she's becoming this person who has a massive house just outside of Las Vegas. She just wants to be there for her kids. Yeah, and it's interesting that it's around two thousand where it really kind of loosens up in terms of structure. I was trying to track down. It's like, oh, well, has Celine done any sort of memoir or anything? And she did release an autobiography in two thousand called "My Story, My Dream." And yeah, it really feels like this movie was uh, the way that I wrote it in my notes. And I think this is maybe a little harsh at the time looking back. Is that this is kind of rewriting the world book entry for Celine Dion, where like when when you were doing reports in third grade for something, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to look it up in the encyclopedia, and then you're just like 
rewriting the sentences to try to avoid plagiarizing, even though it really is plagiarizing, (laughs) but... It feels like this was trying to use all of the publicly available information, probably necessary so that this movie could get made, uh, since it is like not directly approved by the subject of the films. The five minutes of the movie that I was probably the most excited person in my theater for were the Dublin Song Con- Competition yeah. <laughs> section, just because I'm like, how are they going? What kind of ersatz Eurovision are they going to put on? And it turns out they're just going to show Denmark performing beforehand. Mm-hmm. Well, and and it's not the actual Denmark performance. It was like a reimagining of it. But the way that they remixed those details is really kind of funny. (laughs) I rewatched the Denmark performance for the 1988 Eurovision. They got like the colors right and elements of the choreography, but they really just kind of mashed it up in a very silly way. So so kudos to that. (laughs) Kudos to that. But like, that's also just sort of a climax of the fake Renee storyline. I'm not sure if he stopped being her manager, but he's realized, no, you're much younger than me. We can't do this. Your mom said we can't do this. And then he shows up in Dublin to support her. As in real life, this is when Celine or Aline, whichever name you want to use here, (laughs) the night of Eurovision was when she reportedly lost her virginity. There is a Just Jared article where she is quoted as acknowledging that. And had that not been the case, I think the whole Eurovision thing would have been eliminated. There is no reason for them to have scenes in Dublin at Eurovision. I would say it was less than two minutes of the film. Also, they shouldn't have shown Denmark because Denmark came after Celine in the running order. And like they were showing her as following Denmark. Again, again, (laughs) the movie has a very loose relationship with actual linear time. Yeah, well, loose relationship and also, well, legal called back and said that you need to change this, this, and this. (laughs) Although (laughs) they they do name check uh, Naparte Passenwa in the movie so it's like okay it does exist in that reality but they never use the word eurovision probably because legal said no. probably because yeah. legal said no <laughs> legal has said you can call it a song competition in dublin much like we can call it the big game yes exactly <laughs> nothing really comes of that it is just a footnote and granted like she has done a lot in her career so eurovision is kind of a is, footnote is, is allowed and, to be a footnote yeah. yeah there is a weird charm about the movie and like it did make me want to go back to more of her 80s french stuff mm. because i was enjoying the music from that period of things before she becomes the big english adult contemporary star we know her as just trying to think about like Who is this movie for? I think an interesting question, at least for the American audience, is to look at, well, what is this being paired with in the theater in terms of how is the movie being marketed? I rewatched the trailer before we recorded, and it's like, from the studio that brought you Judy. We're almost like, okay, that says a lot about who they think the audience for this movie is. Uh, But then also, the previews that I got before the movie, I had not been to a Megaplex in quite some time. This was my first time encountering the AMC Heartbreak Feels Good in a place like this clip. Oh, is that the Nicole Kidman one? Yes. Or, okay, yeah. Yes, that's that, the, the, yeah, the Nicole Kidman, yeah, yeah. Kidman monologue that I thought <laughs> yeah. that the internet was just joking about. That There was somebody on Twitter who was like, yeah, no, a lady started passing out sheets in the theater and made it like a call and response. I'm just like, this didn't happen. This isn't a real, <laughs> this isn't a real thing. And now I'm just like, oh no, this is absolutely a real thing that's happened. Yeah, my, my favorite mashup of that is on the left, a photo of Nicole Kidman looking at the screen, just totally transfixed. And then the photo on the right is <laughs> Maria Menudos doing the DV <laughs> uh, announcement. Yes. <laughs> It was very nice to have the patron saint of, of Eurovision Greece, Mar- Maria Menounos, welcome me into the theater. <laughs> 
tra- uh, do you recall what trailers you got? Um, oh, that was one of the things I took copious notes on because I wanted to compare with you to see if we were served the exact same platter of this is what we think you're coming to see. Yep, that was exactly why I took the same notes. <laughs> um, let's see. So I got a a preview for a documentary about the New Orleans Jazz Fest. Mm, I did not get that one. I okay. Think. Maybe that plays better in Boston. Who knows? And then was immediately reminded that I am in an AMC theater with previews for Doctor Strange, the Bob's Burgers movie, and Jurassic Park. Yep. Yep. I got all three of those. Okay. Uh, Montana Story, which lo- it looks like an indie film. Yep. That's the sort of trailer that I get at like my local theater, which is a little bit indier. This is the right tone. Uh, I got like the standard like Fathom Opera events are back. Oh, yes. We got Fathom Events. I don't think it was opera, but it was the 70th anniversary of Singing in the Rain that I really wanted to go to, but I, I couldn't fit that in my schedule. But the follow-up to that was a preview for Downton Abbey, second Downton Abbey movie, which sounds like it's going to have a lot of parallels with Singing in the Rain. Uh, so it's like, oh, that, yeah, this, you you were singing to my heart. Uh, I, I did not so. get a Downton Abbey ad. <laughs> oh, which yeah. Is, which is super weird, because like after, after the Fathom Events one, I got... What I assume was the preparing you that this is going to be a movie in French with subtitles trailer, which was for an Eiffel Tower movie. Yep, I got that one as well. (laughs) Where I'm just like, this film doesn't even need to exist. This can just purely be like the prep for you're you're going to be watching a movie in a foreign language. It did serve the same purpose as like the first five minutes of seeing Shakespeare in the park and your brain sort of recalibrating itself to Shakespearean English. Yes, they probably could have gotten the same effect by playing the... French-Canadian version of the Sesame Street theme song. Yeah, so. just, just like playing that, just like Edith Piaf. Yep. Um, and then a movie that was about gay soldiers in Estonia that I'm blanking on the name of. Uh, Firebird. Firebird, yes, because I, I because one of the other theaters near me was doing their annual LGBTQ film fest, and that was part of the lineup where it's like, I know what that movie is. Looking at all of these trailers, I mean, except for Jurassic Park and maybe Doctor Strange. Like, I mean, I understand why those were part of the set, but like looking at this whole list, it's like, oh, this is really pitched to me specifically. So it really put me in the right frame of mind of... Like, oh, I think I'm going to enjoy this movie <laughs> if, they, if they think that this is what I'm going to see after that. We are seeing the film that they also picked up so that they can show the Doctor Stranges and the Jurassic Park. So please come back and pay $20 for those. Thank you for paying your $10 for the 11 a.m. on Saturday showing of this. On the day that I saw this, went to the first available showing of this and then immediately went around the corner to go see the Aaron Sorkin version of To Kill a Mockingbird, which also features adult actors playing like seven or eight year old children. Maybe slightly older. I forget how old the characters in To Kill a Mockingbird are supposed to be. Right. But it's adults playing but it's, Scout. It's, it's, and... Yeah, it's, it's adults playing Scout and Jem and Dill. Yeah. So, so just like a day full of adult actors eerily playing children. <laughs> Why did the universe put both of these things together for me? That is kind of a lot. For me, I think once I made the association with A Star is Born, it's like, oh, yeah, that would be a really good double feature in the afternoon. Like this one is the more optimistic take of that particular story or style of story like it feels like it's almost like a micro genre at this point maybe part of that is like there are so many versions of a star is born but this this definitely fits into that mold i would say what was interesting for me is that the movie really focuses a lot of its energy on aline and guy claude's relationship and then towards the end he's older he's he's having heart trouble he's watching her from a hospital bed in their house and then it just kind of yada yadas over his death 
I expected there to be more of a focus on that and sort of like the revitalization of her her life after that because like in real life Celine has done some more touring she's done some more Vegas stuff but she also like has taken on the second life. I wonder if maybe since her second life is not at the forefront of pop culture at this point like it also seems like she's just kind of like taken step back focusing more on her family and and all of that so it's not as much publicly available material the way that the rest of the story where you just google celine dion and get all of these story beats from magazine articles interviews videos all of that information is already out there whereas the post renee post Guy claude content isn't available in a google search yeah would you recommend this movie i feel like i don't need to see it again but i enjoyed watching it I'm not sure if you need to immediately go out like on demand the day that it's available and purchase it from the iTunes store or rent it from Amazon, but maybe get it from your library. I was surprised by how charmed I was by this movie. Because again, I would not consider myself a Celine Dion fan. I'm not an anti-fan or anything like that. It's like, oh yeah, her music's just not my jam. But this movie was a lot of fun and I did not feel disappointed about paying for a ticket to see this movie yeah i was looking at uh, rotten tomatoes film critics like they're not really into it like it has a 59 percent critic score which yeah like if you're not into the weirdness that this movie is dishing out i don't even know if saying it's not high art is correct because it had a lot of cesar yes nominations. Yeah. yes like it had 10 nominations at the cesar awards and valerie lemercier won best actress Wow. Yeah. And I thought she did a good job. I would say about halfway through the movie, I forgot. This is not Celine Dion or or the same person who was playing like the six-year-old version of Celine Dion. Like I I was immersed in the character. Yes, exactly. I'm like, yes, this is Celine Dion. The styling was fantastic. Like they really nailed the various eras of fashion that they were trying to cover to like an almost upsetting degree. uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) Anytime that we get to like roughly 2004 to I'd say about 2008, 2009 in 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 fashion, the movie nails it. But just also just like we're at it, we're at the era where like I get to look back at those and go like, oh no, we were doing that. We were leaving the house like that. Yep, yep. It's just like every Eurovision again that we watch. Be like, yep, that that we we did that, and we don't know why, but we're 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 sorry. So, <laughs> going back to the Rotten Tomatoes part of it, like it has a ninety percent audience score, which I am not all that surprised about. I feel like the the marketing of the movie is very focused on the type of person who would want to go see this movie. I, I think it is a very specific audience that is going to see this movie. And like just based on the box office, I think they were served by it. Yes. Like it's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I was looking at the box office for this and on that opening weekend, like prior to this, it, it was it was available in the United States in one theater. Uh, when it opened up, it opened to 60 additional theaters and it made twenty one thousand six hundred twenty six dollars in the u.s that weekend okay that was probably the weekend that we saw it right? yeah that was the weekend we saw it that was why we looked at who is going to see this movie on opening weekend besides me that that averages about out to about 354 dollars per screen which that feels correct to me and then if you break that down that's about 30 people per screen and i'm like there are probably 30 people near each of the theaters that's showing this that want to see this movie yeah if you're at all curious about celine dion like i think you'll you'll find something to enjoy about this film thinking about the reviews for this uh the person who covered this for vulture in their review allison wilmore in their review described the movie as one of the most astounding feats of creative willpower they've seen and i think that's a great way of framing it 
Valerie Lemercier does not look like Celine Dion. Uh, someone else is doing the music, but for the movie, you fully believe she is Celine. She also describes it as a kamikaze act of wish fulfillment. Kind of wildly <laughs> indulgent, but so deeply committed to what it's doing that it can't help but be compelling. And I think that kind of nails it. It, it does feel like it has a passion project vibe behind it and good for her you know like it, like if, if celine dion is your passion and this is how you want to express your fandom i totally get that i mean we do a eurovision podcast we've been doing a eurovision mm-hmm. podcast like i feel like that we're kind of in the same boat with that yes and yeah so if you get it you get it if you don't get it then it's like okay yeah then this movie probably isn't for you but for the people that it's for i think they're really going to enjoy it it is a weird movie, and I'm hopeful that when it is VOD, people will check it out. It's a good mom movie, I yes. think. This is kind of the weird window for it, but like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, like when you're visiting family and you need to find a movie to watch with your mom, like I th- I think this one is a fantastic choice for that. Yeah, and if they're the sort of person who has the subtitles on anyway, they're gonna be they're gonna love it. Yeah, you just have to get over the problematic nature of the relationship yeah you just just don't think about the relationship that hard and then also just know that for like the first 10 minutes you are going to see a normal adult woman who has been digitally shrunk down to be a six-year-old and a 12-year-old and on that note that's going to do it for this episode of the euro what thanks for listening the euro what podcast is hosted by ben smith that's me and mike lacombe same one if you'd like to help support the show and access a ton of bonus content head on over to patreon.com slash euro what Free access to our full archive of more than 200 episodes going all the way back to the 2018 contest can be found on our website, eurowhat.com. Next time on the Eurowhat, we're checking in on artist selections and other Eurovision headlines. 